The United Astrology Congress was a unique astrological event. A combination of three organizations, AFAN, ESAR, and NCGR, produced UAC 86. And this is the official documentary. Jesus, <laughs> the moon is in Aquarius, and uh, the convention has not yet started. Uh, but uh, we got here the day before in order to test some equipment and uh, get some shots of the preliminary steering committee meeting tonight. But meanwhile, here's a, a shot of what it's like at the Bahia Hotel in San Diego. Quite a locale for the first United Astrology Convention, otherwise known as UAC 86. We're here for about six days to do a documentary about this convention. Uh, where some of the uh, real notables in the world of astrology are expected, along with over a thousand other folks. Uh, we're all coming here to exchange information and engage in astrological talk at various degrees of complexity. Uh, so, once again, this is the uh, Bahia Hotel in San Diego, and uh, I hope you all enjoy yourselves. Okay, this is uh, Marion March, affectionately known as the uh, head honcho. Will there be time to get to it? Yes, there will. We've got until July 1st. Hopefully, we'll be finished before then. Okay. I don't Probably. think the opening program should yeah, go no. past 10 or 10.30 at the very latest. It's the first night. And you think why is it starting at 9? I'm just very curious why it starts at 9. I don't know why, Angel. Uh, I, I don't know why either. I thought it was starting at 8. Okay. Yeah, it looks like they have the uh, last degrees of... Uh, Virgo rising. But it's going to draw two grids now, two 360 degree grids. This is the boring part. Especially, you know, this part gets, will probably get edited out of any take. Well, if it wasn't for this computer, how long would it take for this kind of thing to be? Uh... Um, it would take the time it takes somebody to draw it up. And that could be, it could be like that fellow who's down there who has the beautiful chart, Mandalas, and they spend a lot of time making real fancy output. Or it could be like my old teacher, Hans Niggerman, who used to use a magic marker on the back of a napkin, and that would be about it, you know? He used to there scroll this thing out. So it's anybody's guess. Good evening. My name is Marion March, and I'm the coordinator of my name is Charlie Thomas. Welcome to all of you. First of all, it's in the program at 9, and I think in some ways it's useful. If you're running a short program of approximately an hour, 
the nine o'clock is a very appropriate time, particularly the opening night for a conference. Lots it's only people, an hour and a half, Jeff. You sit down for It's all. still over at 10.30, Noel. People have not been here for two days. And people are going to be arriving late. They want to have a dinner. Give them some space. Give them an hour. Well, you know, I was also there's a concern with the television, uh, trying to get some night coverage on this thing and some premium plays and all that. Well, it was scheduled for 9 from the beginning and the music was written for 9 o'clock, Angel. The beautiful music you just heard, by the way, our horoscope read 21 Capricorn Rising with Jupiter and the Moon in Pisces in the second house, Sun in Cancer in the sixth, Mercury and Venus and Leo in the seventh, Scorpio, Pluto and Scorpio in the ninth, Saturn and Uranus and Sag in the eleventh, and Neptune and Mars and Capricorn in the twelfth. Thank you very much. But I do think that we as astrologers have a very special relationship to the universe. And as such, I would ask you to join forces in a moment of silent meditation to give thanks for our awareness of our oneness with the universe. Marion comes out, we go through the whole orientation, represent, representatives of all the groups, we all say our things that will take us to 945 at the very latest. And it is very important to understand that UAC is designed like no other conference. It's a very Aquarian event, both in the, the best and the worst senses of the word. And the maddening aspects of Aquarius uh, uh, are certainly present as well. I take ultimately, ultimate responsibility for the misspellings, the lack of page numbers. I suggest you number the pages yourself. Take a little pen and then do it. If you all start on the first page, we can agree. Okay, please, help me. Just put a one there. And I didn't like the black and white cover, so I took mine and I put a little uh, colored sticker on it. And you could do that too, and it's a lot cheaper. Susan will speak for uh, 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, 25 minutes and then we have a five minute closing and we're closed at 10.15. Listen, even for Leo Rising, that was a very long entrance. <laughs> Uh, there were, it's a pleasure to be here with you, to see you all here. Now, let me quickly tell you about Susan Strasberg. We are very thankful to Billy, who knows of a service where they can get to agents on a computer, which is something totally new. On a computer, it's a new service. You want to, well, isn't that important? Anyhow, Billy got a few of them, and I picked Susan because it so happens yes. that Susan has referred clients to me for years, but I've never met her. So I said, please have her call me, and she did, and she said, your name is so familiar. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, you've been referring clients to me for about three years. That 80% of all Americans are aware of their birth sign and know about astrology. That she immediately told me that she needs a room with a view on the water because she has her moon in Pisces. That's which Roxana right. got for her. So uh, I think we're she all should used to be uh, to being being disappointed. And we wouldn't have to get disappointed. <laughs> 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 I've been rehearsing for this. Um, 
a closing experience for the whole group, um, something short and sweet to get to get to get to know. And so it became the end of the first day, and uh, the great dignitaries have not been met yet, but uh, the planet Venus overlooked all and saw that all was well here at the uh, Bahia Hotel in San Diego, California. next morning we went out to one of the spacious gardens at the uh, Bahia uh, to cover the official opening of the convention. Now, one question, what about the 12 noon opening tomorrow? Uh -huh. Is it important that we have it? We have someone to do it. Will anyone show up? Of course, we have to have it. That's our official opening. That's the official Did opening. anybody look at that chart? <laughs> I'd like to kind of get a sense. How many people are local? Can you raise your hand? How many people from the Pacific Northwest? Midwest? How about the South? East Coast? How about Canada? How many Canadians? Group over here. Anyone from further? Yes. Yes. Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. South yeah. Africa. Yeah. Where else? Brazil. Brazil? Brazil? Yes. Right here. Next to officially open the conference um, and to try to have it be kind of a unifying, welcoming kind of an experience for all of us to start focusing our energy. Now, it didn't get put in the program, but I feel it's a really important, vital part for all of us to start doing that together. So I think maybe just networking mouth-to-mouth -mouth is the best way to do it. So at least we have a core group of 50 to 100 people that will participate in that spiritual, if we call it that, ceremony. Notice of where your place is relative to this circle. West. East, North, and the South. And let's each take about a minute just to breathe deeply, to get more in touch with yourself, to get more in touch with the earth that you're sitting upon. And let's just all take a private minute and breathe just as deeply and as fully as you can, getting yourself centered. And now, if you will, focus your attention on the point between your eyebrows. The yogis call this the Ajna Center or the third eye. Okay. 
Isn't that interesting? On behalf of all of us here, we declare the first United Astrology Congress open. Thank you. I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil. You are Brazil. Brazil. We flew all the way. Yes, long way, and we came. Exactly for this conference. That's for this. And the opening was wonderful. Yes, it's based exactly on the kind of work we do there. We have an aquarium school there, and we work with the elements and with image. So it was just perfect. I'm very grateful for that. Good. Thank you. Isha Lerner, this is Katya and Gabrielle. Welcome. I'm from. Uh, Durwood, Maryland. It's near Rockville, outside of Washington, D.C. Miami, Florida. Miami. How about you? New York. Sacramento. I'm from Upsec, uh, New Jersey. And I'm from Montclair, New Jersey. New York City. From Victoria, Canada. The island of Hawaii. And the state of Hawaii. Long Beach. Long Beach. California? California. Yeah. Wow. I'm from Ty Valley, Oklahoma. My name's Kathleen Sweeten. How about you? Cincinnati, Ohio. My name's Dave Walters. I'm Tony Bray from Chicago, Illinois. From Michigan. Oh, we're in Michigan. Uh, from Jackson, Michigan. Sedona, Arizona. Okay, how about you? Boston, Massachusetts. Santa Ana, California. Be sure to attend our faculty, the, to the faculty, mm -hmm. our faculty party at ah. 5.30. The only thing is, at that time it said on the Bahia Bell. In the meantime, it's changed to the Del Mar Room. Cancer rising and a Virgo moon. And are you going to be doing a lecture? 
Yes, I will be. I'll be lecturing on 50 ways to meet your lover. <laughs> Double Virgo with an Aries moon, Cardinal Grand Cross and Angular houses, the day never stops. Sometimes the night doesn't either, so there. <laughs> Sun sign is Libra, moon sign is Scorpio, and Leo rising. Oh, I'm an Aries Sun. The Scorpio rising and the moon in Gemini in the seventh house. My sun is in Stradivarius. And your moon is over Miami? And my moon is in Miami, that's right. Over Miami. Thank you. Tell him your name. My name is Roger Elliott. Tell what sign you're born in. I am a mother's boy. I was born under cancer. <laughs> my sun is Capricorn, my moon is Libra, conjunct Neptune, and my ascendant is Sagittarius. And here at UAC Conference, and we're gonna be, I'm gonna be doing a lecture on Neptune. Saints and sinners and lovers. I'm a Scorpio, doing my imitation of the water bear, or the next best thing. I'm a Gemini, Sun conjunct Uranus, with a moon in Taurus and a Capricorn rising. I have, my son is conjuncting ascendant and I have a balsamic moon. And that's, what, that's what's happening in this room tonight. All of you, whether you know it or not, are the best astrologers in the world. That's why you're here. That's why you were invited. Because you are the best. Basically, zodiac is the aura of this world. It's not quite the real aura, it's an idealization based on the 12-fold principle of the aura of this world. Could you tell me your name? Uh, it is Mahama. Uh, I think I have it on the tape anyway. Okay, well, I want, I want to yeah, hear oh, it. Oh, yes, you have it here. Well, uh, it is Wangemann coming from Germany. And uh, what is your specialty? Oh, uh, uh, research work and just to. Uh, uh, to clean astrology knowledge from all those uh, suspicious things, you know. The, valley, the, the clear old astrology and the research is going back, very, very far back. And I do think uh, this, that astrology as knowledge is much older than we got the, um, the symbols and, uh, from uh, the uh, Egyptian and uh, they, they refound it because those symbols of astrology are much more older because I found those signs in the physical body of human beings. The Arius, the Taurus, is shown in, uh, in the body and in and the cells of human beings. Those um, pictures uh, done now in research work for um, health, they show that those symbols are in the body. I have some heterodox views. I do sidereal astrology, but I don't use signs in either tropical or sidereal framework because I think it's an oversimplification and it's, it may be good for getting some people interested in astrology. However, it's such an oversimplification that in the long run it will cause damage to serious astrology. My sun sign is Scorpio, my moon sign is Pisces, and my ascendant is Capricorn. And something about myself and my chart. Uh, I'm very individualistic. The reason I'm saying that is this for an audience that's going to understand astrology, possibly? 
Okay, because I have Uranus exactly quartile square my ascendant. So it's for, and it's in a T square. It's a focal planet of a T square, and in a grand trine, both. So it's a very strong planet in my chart, which makes one different than the rest. It's as if you walk to a different drummer. How long have you been uh, studying astrology? Uh, a little more than 40 years. But the, the, the astrology I got from my husband, and he was much more older than mine, and therefore it's, it's a very, very old thing. And he was a student from old astrologers, ancient astrologers, and you, you know, it's going from one to the other like a family. But a family by, by soul and by, by spirit. I, I, I propose a terminological shift um, that signs should be reserved for 30 degree wedges and constellations should be used for, for stellar images. They're all way off where they were because they're yes. No, she's talking about vertically, not horizontally. Well, that is to say, since uh, the precession of the equinoxes was discovered by Hipparchus, They've all moved a great deal. Right. May, may I suggest that it would probably simplify matters enormously if Western astrologers stopped referring to the sign Aries as Aries and referred to it as sign one, followed by sign two, as we do I with like houses. I like what you say. Sign I like three. what you say. And I believe that, and now this is purely personal opinion of Alan Oakens, okay, but one of the things which inhibits that is the tremendous amount of egotism that's extant. Where it's, you know, it's astrology is seen as a business, which for a lot of people it is, and there's nothing wrong in business. I mean, we live in America, you know. But it's seen primarily uh, as a business. And, uh, and um, who is going to be get top billing at this or that event? And, uh, you know, uh, who's on first and what's on second and, and this whole uh, type of thing. I mean, someone came up to me today, an astrologer, and said, oh, you look so different. And uh, I see, she said, you look very well, which is always very nice to hear, especially when your personality is a bit vain like mine is. And you look, you look um, uh, very well. And I said, thank you. Why do you look so well? She said, well, I said, I'm, I'm growing. She said, oh, you mean growing in stature. You know, I didn't mean growing in stature at all. I mean growing as a being. And if that contributes to being healthy, which it does, and I feel healthy, that's great. But you see, that kind of a theme is very common here. Growing in stature. Right? Rather than growing in love. Rather than growing in a selflessness, which takes form through a self-focusedness. And once that selfness is secure, then a selflessness may manifest and service can be done to each other. And until we recognize that there's no need to stomp on each other, there's no need to be competitive with each other to the extent where, where uh, we forget that competition is a vehicle for unity and we just take competition as competition, then a lot of the wonderful ideals will not be realized. And I think having Scorpio rising uh, with Pluto trining the sun in an 8th house Mars helps me to realize one thing, that we're all going to die. And that, that death is going to come relatively soon. I mean, you know, 30 years, 40 years, 10 years, 50 years, 60 years for some of the young ones. That's very soon, you know. So what is the big deal? You know, what's the big urgency of having statues made in your honor? I mean, I don't understand that at all. Instead, if we could work towards contributing collectively to the collective wholeness of our humanity, then that is a legacy. 
And I would like to help contribute towards that in my work, if I can, that, that concept at least. Um, I am a metaphysical astrologer from Cleveland, Ohio. I have my sun in Scorpio, my moon in Cancer, and I'm a Gemini rising. Um, when I call myself a metaphysical astrologer, because I've kind of believed that the age that astrology is going into is not really scientific. I believe it's the age of blending the science with the arts. And if, there, if we don't reach this point in time and space where we bring these two great sciences together, the arts and the sciences, then I feel that we're going to miss the whole mission of the Aquarius age. So one of the things I feel that I do is I, kindly, I kind of expound on the theories of metaphysics and its relationship to astrology. Some people claim that I'm a purist, and that means that um, I am purely an astrologer. I don't have um, any other art forms. I'm not a psychologist. I have no degrees. Um, my degree is in the school of hard knocks and astrology. I started with an A to Z horoscope maker and uh, in a closet in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and uh, fell in love with it, found out astrology worked, um, started to manipulate it and have misused it, and then found out the dangers of misuse. And through the years and being burnt a few times, I've uh, started to use it more metaphysically, and I find that it's now helping my life. I believe in cycles, I believe in transits, I believe in progressions. I believe in all of the traditional things of astrology, but I'm not sure that I believe in the traditional forms that um, they delineate with. So I also feel that one of my missions is to make sure that the books are rewritten and people start to look at astrology in a more humanistic and a more metaphysical approach. Uh, <clears throat> but when I said I, I see myself, as a unifying energy. I meant that very literally, as an energy. Not as a persona, but as a persona that conveys an energy. So that my focus of consciousness is in the essential energy. And if I feel like dressing that energy in this costume, I do. And that's okay. But I don't identify with that other, other than just being a particular taste of a particular mood. But that my real purpose is as an energy, as an essential flame, if you will you know, who, who I hope is serving humanity in some way to bring about a greater focus of love. Astrology is to be used as something is to get you in tune with the cosmos, something that's supposed to take you through an evolution. And uh, when you start manipulating it and holding it back, you stop that natural evolution and then that energy builds and it actually comes back at you. And then, and then you spend your life fighting off all these, these energy patterns and then you're resisting the flow of energy. You're not working with the flow of energy. There is no enemy. There is no good person. There is no bad person. So there is nobody you should ever have to manipulate. We're all doing the work in perfection. I use secondary progressions as a technique of the inner unfoldment. It's a very class uh, to, to reveal the inner unfoldment. It's very, very traditional. I'm a very traditional astrologer. Um, uh, to me, when I see uh, uh, the position of the progressed moon, I, and let's say it's an aspect to uh, Jupiter, I know that that is for those two or three months of duration, and that the Jupiter function is going to be formed in a person's external life so that wherever abundance is, or excess is, or the urge to expand the philosophical framework of awareness is, wherever that happens um, uh, in that person's life, which is a house position, then it's going to take form through the lunar uh, progression, and that that's going to be highlighted. And that, to me, is, is fundamental to understanding the unfoldment of the nature through astrological um, uh, lenses, if you will. 
A good astrologer should have a tremendous understanding of the tarot. Not necessarily should they read the tarot, but they should be able to look at the tarot and have the same feeling for the tarot that they have for the planetary structure. They should be able to do that with the I Ching. They should be able to do that with any form of divination. A good astrologer is only using that horoscope to tune in and become psychic tell. And I don't care what anybody says. And that's what creates the greatest fight in our field, is that there are these tremendous groups of people that do not want to believe that there is this tremendous psychic energy that takes place when you study astrology. When I look at an astrological chart, when I am done reading, I could not tell you how I got it after I got it. I could tell you at the second because my mind is going through this trance-like thing, going from planet to aspect, but it is just my tool to get me in touch with the, with, the, with the art form, which is synthesizing. And all forms of metaphysics do that. I was very glad at UAC because they have really included in it tracks that are outside of astrology. And you know, in a major convention, national, this is the first time that's ever happened. And uh, when you stop to think that there were astrologers in a convention this size attending workshops on healing, attending workshops on positive thinking, that they're going to take that back and when they're applying that to their clients, they're going to start applying some of the techniques of the metaphysics, which is what we need because we are an extremely negative, negative science. We are totally into looking for the fault in the person and not looking for the whole in the totality. You know, metaphysically, there is no bad aspect. There can't be. It's in perfection. It's like taking a car. You just, it, do, it doesn't run if that aspect isn't there. And we're not seeking the difficulty, we're seeking how the mechanism runs. And that's what metaphysics will teach astrologers, and that's what's missing in astrology. I'm Lillian Trevi from Forkett River. We're very impressed with the conference, the way it's being run, the way it's set up the lecturers, the information that you've given us, and the Baha uh, what is this, the Baha'i, Bahia, you have to get the pronunciation right, the Bahia Hotel is just marvelous. Hi, Linda Lutzai, Sun in Pisces, Moon in Taurus. Hi, Joe Stott, Sun in Leo, Moon in Sagittarius. Cindy Saul, Sun in Libra, Moon in Gemini. My name is Joan McEvers, I'm a double Aquarius with a Moon in Leo. Sun in the first house. In honor of UAC 86, I have the Sun in Pisces, Moon in Aries, and Libra rising. There's only going to be one show, so come at 8 o'clock tomorrow and we'll tell you the answer to the riddle. Is it 8 or 8.30? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Okay? So, uh, I know it's at two shows, but we are unable to, uh, we're, we're going to have to just condense the evening and make it one show. But um, we're going to pack, we're going to do all the dirty stuff that we were going to do in the second show. We'll do it in the first show. Okay, so what uh, uh,
Capricorn Sun, uh, Leo Ascendant, Pisces Moon. Okay. I'm from Alberta, Canada too, Edmonton, and my name is Judy Powell. Leo Sun, Sag Moon, and Virgo Ascendant. Cancer. I think I'll have another drink. Pisces Moon. <laughs> I'm from Argentina originally. Now I'm living in France. Okay, what's your sign? Libra. My my moon sign is in uh, Libra. My sun sign is in uh, um, Cancer, and I'm a Leo ascendant. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Enjoying this. Uh, our little shindig here. The shindig? Well, yeah, except that it's been crashed by everybody except the foreigners. Yeah, right. Sie sind nur als Zuhörer? Als Zuhörer und ich habe meine kleinen Taschencomputer mit, vielleicht verkaufe ich immer einen. Ach so, haben Sie oben eine Drehtschicht? Nee, ich habe keinen Stein gemacht. Nein? Aber vielleicht stelle ich mich dann noch hin, ich weiß nicht. Ja, wir haben, do we still have a table upstairs? Do we have any empty space upstairs? I might say, it's now a little after the foreigners party, uh, which was crashed by just about everyone. And uh, while we uh, recollect the impressions of the uh, day, uh, let's get a little of the Bahia Hotel here on another beautiful starry evening. Actually, the balmy weather has loosened everyone up, and uh, the astrology talk is, uh, is rampant, but much deeper than the usual back-page newspaper columns. At any rate, I figured I'd uh, let the camera run here and uh, give you an idea of this beautiful place. Uh, right across the harbor, a lot of people over there having fun, amusement parks, fireworks, and uh, right next door here, someone has some Bach playing on a radio, and all in all, quite a setting for this uh, United Astrology Congress. I'll give you a moment or two here to uh, look at Venus and then we'll get on with this thing. suggested to them, by the way, is the cancer car, which doesn't have an engine because it really just wants to stay home. <laughs> but enough of that. We can really take that one for a ride, so to speak. Now, cancer is also um, an element that must make contact with the Earth, and I find ultimately all of the elements will derive some contact with the Earth because of the fact that we do live here. But in a cancerian sort of way, the little crabs, yes, they live in the water, but they very frequently run around in the bottom. And they have contact with the Earth. When I was in the Navy, we used to have this joke that the nearest land was never far away. It was just straight down. You know, that type of feeling. And that's one of the things that needs to be understood about water, is there's an Earth foundation to it as well. We see the study of astrology, astrological symbolism, as a vehicle to unite intellect with intuition. We see it, if you will, as a honing device which allows us to tune into the collective archetypal forces and to be expressive of those in our individual way. Could we 
not do that, that's going to distract from my talk, okay? But I'll be happy to see you privately. Thank you. We all want to be stars, you know? Now that's a different point of view, yes. because this is a question of strength, yes. of intensity, that is a quantitative thing. Aspects bring a qualitative aspect to it, you know. You cannot mix up quality and quantity, you know. We strictly have to consider the quantity in itself, and then add the looks from a qualitative point of view. There you have the signs where the planets are in, uh, the houses as a qualitative consideration, you have the aspects going to that planet, etc. But that's qualitative. It doesn't add or uh, uh, subtract strength. You're saying this is based on the fact that seven is the first number that you can counter that doesn't go into 360 degrees. No, it's, ba it, it, it's based on traditional symbolism of the number seven. It is also, however, I mean, the fact, the fact that it is also the first number that doesn't divide evenly into 360, I suspect, is a reinforcement. Or let me put it this way, I didn't say that, but you're right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if this is related or not, but when you take something like the golden rectangle, it has measurements that are finite and then measurements that are infinite based on numbers that are not whole numbers like, like the... Not infinite, irrational. Irrational. Yeah. Well, which is another or kind or of... Or transcendental is actually right. the word. Yeah. And so seven is like one of those... It's, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's breaking out of ordinary reality. Yeah. Yeah, the, the symbolism of 360 degrees in a circle is not to be taken lightly. 360 is the smallest number that is divisible by the most primes. See, 360 can be divided by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, and 12. To add in 7 requires multiplying 360 by 7. And that gives you a huge number. Well, don't bother. You can figure it out for yourselves later. I can't do the math in my head that quickly. So 7 times 360 uh, would be the smallest prime that could contain all of those numbers. 25 20. 25 20. I'm calculating. If we had a liquid crystal display. Sinus curves. Sinus curves. Is that? Sine curve. Sine. Sinus is this, huh? Yes. <laughs> Sun in Aquarius. Moon is exactly between Scorpio and Sagittarius. And I have Capricorn rising with Venus and Jupiter conjunct the ascendant. That's important. And I love being outside. Always loved astrology. I've loved uh, studying the stars when I was a child and psychology. And I love being outside and I love being by the beach. And I like being with friends. My sun is uh, in Cancer, my moon is in Taurus, my ascendant is in Leo. My sun, all my Cancer planets are conjunct Uranus. Most of my planets are in the 11th house, which is probably indicates why I'm so into astrology. Yeah, I, I am not one of the people who is a tremendous believer in the signs of the zodiac, but i got to admit, uh, Neptune and Pluto signs really look like they deliver. Uh, I mean, many years ago, when Neptune was early in Sagittarius, I was sitting down talking to a friend of mine, and she said, 
she she is uh, a heavy duty Capricorn who was rather turned off by you know the, the renaissance of oriental religions that was going on full swing at the time you know everybody going around and following guru this and swami that and he said when Neptune gets into Capricorn that's when all of this will stop I said no it won't it'll all turn into churches that's what's happened uh, I mean, it was it was really amazing how suddenly you know religion turned from being mystical and uh, oriental to being right wing and conservative. I mean they were always there, but they just as soon as Neptune entered Capricorn, bam, up they came. Transpersonal is a, a one could probably say the most modern uh, branch of uh, psychology that is also dealing not only with the normal personality and its problems, but also with the spiritual facets of the human being. Um, transpersonal psychology, especially uh, psychosynthesis, uh, says that there is a central being in each human being that uh, may have different interests, different qualities, motivations towards life than the normal daily personality, which we know from from the symptoms, the uh, behaviors the, we can watch. Uh, this can come into contradiction to each other, the spiritual person and the worldly person, I could say. Uh, and the conflicts between these two uh, uh, personalities, one could say, uh, are the object of, of, of treatment of transpersonal uh, psychology. from my husband Bob, he has a moon in Pisces, it's a geode, but it has water in it. Oh. So the water is millions of years old. So I bought oh. it for his desk, I don't know if it shows up as you shift it around, maybe not in this life, but it has water. That's incredible. Can I see that? Yeah. Uh, you know, the people of the 60s, I mean, we're here, damn it, you know. <laughs> we haven't disappeared. We've gotten older, and, and real soon now, if, uh, if the older generation doesn't live forever, we're even going to get political power. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, I was saying, you know, if my daughter ever said to me, you know, how did your generation screw it up, my answer would be, what do you mean? We haven't even got a chance to try anything yet. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the older generation is still in power. Uh, is symbolized by our president. It is thrilling. I was telling John that you were part of the uh, active organization behind uh, Woodstock. That's right. This is exactly what this is reminiscent of. Is you plan and you plan, but it's not until the day you arrive that you know exactly what you're going to be able to do. Right. So I, I'm not having any problem with the overview of the whole situation or the, the components of it. And I think any administrative difficulties come because people don't know everybody. Yes. Or they've never done it before. So, but they're moving fast because it's only Saturday, and all of a sudden they're getting the picture. But it's very similar to Woodstock. I think a good many of the people 
who are loudest in AFAN perhaps had active roles in the 60s and indeed are using some of that experience here. Except the thing about the 60s is that everyone went through them and uh, that anyone who's 40 or 45 was there then and had different roles. I think that probably there are people in AFAN who sat at home and watched TV during the 60s and then were sorry about it and now this is their chance to try it again. But uh, I think anyone in AFAN or anyone in astrology for that matter is not a, a majoritarian. They do not believe everything they read in the San Francisco Chronicle, which uh, says something ab about them right there. And because they have a different worldview and they have the courage to stand up for a worldview that is unpopular and often even uh, heterodox, uh, they obviously have a certain view of the world as well. When, when, when life starts to be arranged and they cut the nerves, then you find the sign of Aries in it, and you find the sign of Taurus in it, and you find the sign of Gemini in it. The first quadrant of starting to become alive is the same, there are the same symbols in human beings than they are in, in plants. Oh, you're desperately serious about your inner lives and your personal growth and your holistic self-fulfillment. That's wonderful, yes. We don't seem to worry too much about those sort of things in Europe. I think you're sometimes very earnest. You like your spiral-bound notebooks. You like your lectures starting at half past eight prompt in the morning. In Britain, a similar conference would be much more laid back. We'd be lying out in the grass having quiet philosophical chats about the meaning of astrology. And is it true? Here, everybody assumes not only is it true in general, but their particular brand of astrology is the truth and please don't argue and pay the money because it's special. I'm joking, you're lovely people really, but um... I consistently got uh, great interviews in the outdoor coffee shop where uh, astrological pundits were constantly holding court. We have meridian, horizon, ecliptic, equator, prime vertical, zenith, midheaven, nadir, the various points and planes that are used in astrology and in astronomy and in navigation. Generally, astrology is done one-dimensionally in longitude. And this is an oversimplification which the ancients, I think, would have laughed at. I'm going to come out into space. I'm talking about the sun, first of all. As the center of the solar system, the fount of all energy ready within the solar system. The self-evident um, power to any galaxy wanderer out there in space coming near our solar system, the very first thing they're going to see and sense is that sun bursting forth, a huge nuclear fusion furnace. And so we've got to recognize the sun as a unique central factor in the scheme of things. The ascendant is the intersection of the horizon and the ecliptic. It has to do with defining place and locale. So the ascendant is how we interface in a small group, how we interface at a given place on the Earth. It's uh, a very powerful violet. That's because it's a Sun-Pluto conjunction in Scorpio. Hmm? And the Moon also in Cancer, so the water is very powerful and it gives this night climate. One of the major features of the United Astrology Congress was the trade show, where the entrepreneurial aspects of the world of the occult were manifest. 
hear uh, computerized charts, crystal balls, and uh, astrological music written specifically for your birth time were available for modest sums. Also, audio and video cassettes depicting every level of mystical endeavor were there for the delight of the emerging occultist. studying about six years ago and I just found it a really useful tool for myself and something I like to share with people you know because just self-understanding is, is always a helpful thing I really I believe in astrology I believe it works basically what the transits and progressions indicate are what's cooking right now what's going on right now what comes to the foreground okay we all have a multitudinous number of issues and um, a backdrop of experience. But the transits and the progressions point to that which is coming up to the foreground right now to be dealt with. You know, like if, if you see Pluto coming up and conjuncting someone's Venus or making major aspect of someone's Venus, you know that one of the things they're dealing with right now is an amazing transformation in their value system, in, in their whole idea and attitudes about relationship. And sure enough, within just a few minutes of interface with the person, those issues come up. They tell you what those transits mean. I'm not convinced that the astrology that we have today is what is really happening. I'm quite prepared almost to see the death of current astrology in favor of something else which is yet to be discovered. It may be that we are only dealing with a partial truth when we look at the positions of planets in the sky. Or the positions of the planets in the sky may be a very clumsy and abbreviated way of talking about something which might be there in the DNA of each of my cells or there in something else yet to be discovered altogether. So you're talking about some higher language rather than, for instance, some heliocentric form of, 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 uh, of horoscope? Yes. Yes. Um, it may be that astrology in the sky is not what we're really on about. It's, I mean, it's only just a, a passing thought. I've got no real evidence one way or the other to support it. I certainly do feel that when we marry up with other disciplines, the one we will marry up with, uh, up with will be molecular biology and the life sciences. And um, trying to unravel both the mechanism of the brain and the structure of DNA and RNA. And through that, I think, we're going to find maybe what we're really talking about when we talk about astrology. Uh, the south node of the chart is real involved with, with potential. It, it describes what you come from. It describes some very basic early life conditions in the chart. So if you choose to go back, if someone who doesn't really necessarily 
buy the idea of reincarnation just simply go back to the very beginning early years of their lives and you can talk about those energies or you can go back further than that I think the moon is very important in terms of what you have brought with you this particular trip what the soul has come in knowing and has come in with a natural facility for in order to grow from that point um, many people call Saturn the Lord of Karma okay, and, and equate it to the idea of uh, a past life experience. I think the twelfth house is very much tied up with past life experiences. Um, they don't always apply, and for all people, they definitely don't apply. Because if you don't, if you don't have that basic sense, then it does no good to talk to you about past life experience. The nodes define our most intimate or inner connection, since it's the plane of the moon crossing the plane of the ecliptic, which is Earth Sun. Ecliptic is always created through Earth Sun. So it has to do with birth, death, all kinds of connections that we don't have much choice over, right? Our parents, our children, our mates, blood relations. Because I never knew what I was supposed to do in this life, what I did in my last life, what I was going to do in my next life. I never could understand it. I never understood it. Uh, and it took me a long time to realize that the, uh, the South Node, when they say it's the, it's the easiest, the path of least resistance, the South Node is what tastes great it's chocolate and the north node is sprouts it's the stuff you know you're supposed to do As the south node represents in your horoscope a point of infantile deprivation and you're so addicted there and that you're a sucker you're there you can always be taken for a ride because of some very early deprivation that you never get over so there you're totally vulnerable all the time you're, and the North Node is a place of non-attachment. You have a sense that it's always going to be there for you. So you really tend not to be as interested in it. Although it really is the healthier path to take. But it's an axis. And we all have this axis. We have this axis of great maturity and non-attachment. And it's connected right to an addictive, infantile, irrational, angry, unevolved part of ourselves that is extremely vulnerable all the time. We have to find out. Yeah, we don't. We don't know. We will have to find out the limits of this and work it with our policy as much as we can. Are we losing interest here? Should we continue? The dinner is at five. Well, it's six forty-eight. Putting people on TV. TV. Fame is awaiting you. Right around the corner. Yes. My name is Michael Luton and I am an astrologer in the United States. Uh, at this present time, I write, at the moment, I write a horoscope column for Vanity Fair magazine. I have a private practice in New York City. I'm currently publishing a book on astrology and relationships called Made in Heaven. And I'm here in California to uh, supervise and act in the production of my uh, musical Pluto and Scorpio, which is taking place this evening.
has meant unanimous agreement. And the basic question here is, should, consent, should decisions of the steering committee continue to be made only with unanimous consent, or do we go with some kind of numerical rule on the steering committee? Gather your belongings. Taurus, what's your purse? The first likes you could be your mate. Come with me. Whether you're an astrology fiend or a staunch non-believer, we're going past the last stop on the bus line. I think the steering committee ought to be able to act without having to submit all of any such question to the, the membership. He says to the Sagittarius, what are you doing here? The Sagittarius says, here? I'm not here. <laughs> Sagittarius, I've seen him a couple of times. This guy is unbelievable. He will walk down a dark street laughing. He will spill salt on purpose. He breaks chain letters. He makes fun of Jesus Christ. No, but inside, maggots in a pail. Things get done with our consensus, and I've seen amazing instances of polarized opinions on how a necessary thing gets done to be united and synthesized under a consensus, which I would have four years ago believed also was an unworkable system. So pardon my Pluto if you think I'm kind of rude or just a little out of tune. It's just a simple pattern, and it's all because of Saturn and afflictions to my third house moon. Why I decided to write the play Scorpio, why I'm, why I'm even doing this, uh, really is a, is a major astrological aspect, and it's the transit of Pluto through Scorpio, which is reflective of the current wave of aggression and war and terrorism and the sense of end of the world that we are all feeling uh, can be described by Pluto and Scorpio. So I've tried to make the apocalypse as humorous as I could uh, and still not be utterly tasteless. The last 15 years have been a, quote, spiritual initiation for Scorpios. Some people call it masochism and depression. Anyway, now they've come into their own. They're 10 times more power crazed than usual. And now they want to change their whole approach to everything. Their work, their love life, everything. So there's not a trace of what was there in years past. <laughs> I'm sick of getting sand kicked in my face every time I kneel down to pray. I'm sick. I am sick of sharing rice with the Indians. And I am sick of catering to people who didn't even know I was there in the first place. And boy, have I done that. I'm beginning to think that maybe I'm worth something. So these days, Thank you.
Okay, this is Sunday morning, and a cloudy one here at the uh, Bahia Hotel. Unusual for uh, Southern California, but useful for doing a lot of work without the distractions of the beach and the swimming pool. The first principle I want to give you is that it is during hard aspect transits of the outer planets, particularly Saturn, that you are most likely to find life crises. Now you notice I said one indication. We have this marvelous rule of three in astrology. There are many different ways to look for repeated messages. And if you see something once, it's a possibility. If you see it twice, it's a probability. And if you see it three or more times, you can count on it manifesting in life in some way. Now, a mistake is often made with transits, particularly by people who are heavily into progressions. Progressions and transits actually are two different forms of progression. Transit is day for a day, progression is day for a year. Transits are in fact a form of progression, but because of the speed differential, you have to handle transits differently than progressions. In progressions, things move so slowly that you take one or two hits within a few minutes of arc as being very significant. One or two hits within a few minutes of arc in transits is not usually terribly potent. <coughs> You need lots of hits. And the hits don't need to be as precise as they are in progressions as long as, and here is a major point, the orbs of the various transits tend to cancel out. In other words, if one orb is applying by two degrees, another one must be separating by two degrees. That's, that's, that's too simple an application, but you get the general idea. start instantly. Some people do. <laughs> the other same ones that have te tend to have an end instantly. <laughs> yeah, easy come, easy go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll share something personal with you. 
Uh, Pat and I have been together now for uh, nine years, actually living together, and uh, much longer than that, going together. And I attribute the longevity of our relationship to the fact that we never fell in love. <laughs> we love each other dearly. I mean, I've never loved anybody more, or even as much. But I never went through the madness phase. It just sort of grew, slowly. Um, there's something to be said for that, particularly when you have Saturn ruling the seventh house. <laughs> How many of you believe in simultaneous existence? I never heard of that. What does that mean? That means that once energy is put in motion, it doesn't cease. This is the, the, the theory behind reincarnation. However, time is a, is a man-made concept, and time, we, we have invented the concept of past, present, and future to keep us from getting so confused. If everything was one, it would all be chaotic. So we have this nice little idea that time runs along the line, past, present, and future. Because the idea of alternate, or al not alternate, but simultaneous life experiences occurring. Really? My name is Layla Rael Rajar. Astrologically, the vital statistics are that I'm Scorpio, Scorpio rising, moon in Aquarius. And I suppose if I had to name an outstanding configuration, the one I like best is the Grand Trine with uh, Moon, Uranus, and Mercury. And that would be a Grand Trine in water? It's in air. Okay. Now, how does that, how would that, how would you relate that to your astrological uh, I think the, the Grand Trine in air gives facility with symbols and language, uh, with words and communication, intuition and understanding. And I think that's my strong point astrologically is, my main focus astrologically is actually working one-on-one -on -one with clients, being able to listen and hear, translate their life situation in terms of the chart, and then retranslate those symbols back to them for their understanding of where they are. Where they are. Well, my name is Michel Gauquelin from Paris. So my sun sign is Scorpio, my moon sign is Sagittarius, and my ascendant is Leo. Uh, is it... Uh, I'm sorry, I thought it was... Well, so I just... Uh, you, whatever comes to mind, say, don't be shy about it. Oh, okay, I'm How not shy. How is your position in astrology controversial? Well, this controversial in the sense that I started a long time ago uh, to verify the astrology and, uh, well, mostly uh, what I, I was doing is published in my latest book, The Birth Times, which is published recently by Hilan Wang in New York. And in this book, I, I just summarized that uh, I found not a whole lot we can do about that. Okay, about your book. What did you do in your book? Well, I say in, in this book, I just uh, present the results I found in favor to the astrology and also, well, in defavor of astrology. That's so my position is in, in between two chairs, if you want. I, I am an astrologer in a sense, uh, I am a, a, a skeptic of astrology in another sense.
So I just, I, I found positive results, uh, like for instance, uh, correlation between uh, famous people on some planetary positions at, the, at their birth times. That's why the book is it's called Birth Times. Is could, you, could you give me an example, for instance? Yes, yes. For instance, uh, one of the greatest uh, boxing champions, Mohamed Ali, was born with Mars, according to his birth certificate, was, was born with Mars after the Midhaven, that the astrologers say. And I found that a, a lot of great sport champions like Modahim Dali were born more often with Mars at this position than ordinary people. And uh, I found positive results also for other planets with other famous professionals, but for other groups. For instance, actors like Dustin Huffman uh, was born with a strong Jupiter, that is from his strongest Jupiter rising or culminating, you see. And, uh, well, there is also good results for famous writers or famous scientists. Uh, and writers is linked with the Moon and scientists with Saturn. Results like this. So that's a positive results I found. Of course, I got more than uh, 25,000 birth data with time of birth from birth certificate, which is a lot of uh, of money on, on work and on time. My moon is opposite the galactic center. Perhaps you can't interpret that, but I mention it because I introduced the galactic center, the supergalactic center, and the apex of the sun's motion into international astrology. And already in the 50s, I, um, yes, how should I say? Yes, I introduced geocentric nodes into astrology, which in my opinion are very important. If you don't put the geocentric nodes of planets into your chart, it won't be complete. And uh, in many cases, your interpretations will go astray. And uh, I can't find sense in uh, believing in the moon's nodes and not considering Mercury's node, uh, Venus node, uh, and so on. The foundation for what I use, for what I do, that the technical foundation is the progressed lunation cycle, which was a technique. I wouldn't say invented or discovered, but a technique brought out of the shadows by Dane Ridjar as a way of understanding the main flow and structure of a person's life, then superimposing transits on that. Okay. The progressed lunation cycle is the cycle of the phases of the moon as they continue in the days and weeks after birth, symbolically applied to the months and years of life. If, for example, a person is born uh, say at the trine with the moon t 120 degrees behind the sun they would be born approximately 10 days before a new moon so that when they were 10 years old a new lunation, a new progressed lunation cycle would begin in their life and that would diverge considerably from the Saturn cycle. Say you were, you were, a, uh, you were a judge? Uh, I was a judge, yeah. Uh, and a scientist? Yes. You. In this country, 
uh, you probably wouldn't find too many judges and scientists who even believed in astrology. <laughs> Would you, yes. Is that is it the same in Germany? In in other countries too. Yes, yes. yes. But uh, astrology should be an integrative science, and astrologers should be examples of of integration. They should integrate uh, the knowledge of many fields, as astrology should and. Uh, I don't uh, talk about this, uh, I do it. <laughs> the cycle of Saturn, for example, is what Rudyard called a cycle of position. It's something that starts someplace, and it doesn't matter where. It's an arbitrary start or wherever it was when they were born. It goes all the way around in cycle, and it comes back to the same place. It takes the same time for everyone. That event occurs in everyone's life at the same time. It's what he referred to as a generic cycle. You go through those phases because you are a member of the human species. The lunation cycle, on the other hand, is a highly individual thing. It depends upon the exact relation of the sun and moon at your birth, the speed of the moon throughout that particular cycle, which the moon has quite a variance in terms of the speed that it moves per day. And so therefore, the main phase changes and the change from one cycle to another shifts considerably from individual to individual. Mm, it's only interesting where fields of knowledge intersect, where there are boundary regions between fields of knowledge. There you'll get interesting information, but you can get it only if you are in this field and in that field. For but I, I cannot do it for I have to talk face to face with a person. To me, the eye contact. Of course, when I talk to someone on the telephone, I ask them, Quite, quite a few more questions than I would ask if I was sure. having a personal interview. And I spend maybe five or ten minutes really Just asking doing questions, that. what's going on, how this happened, how that happened, so I get a feeling for the person beforehand. I usually have pretty standard questions like, are you married? Have you ever mm -hmm. been? Do you have children? What is your occupation, your level of education? Mm -hmm. That way you're not going to send someone to the, to the, the Met as a concert pianist if they have no musical training <laughs> and if they have a Mercury Neptune conjunction. The astrological community has been too unconscious of its own role in history too long. Uh, we have been outcasts, we've been pariahs, we've been regarded as believers in something that is incredibly stupid and weird and how can you possibly have uh, adopt anything so silly as astrology. Uh, the fact of the matter is not only are we not uh, mentally perverted in any way, shape or form, but we actually have a serious and solid message for the broader world and I don't think astrologers are adequately conscious of the full implications of that message. The full implications of that message are very simple. Astrology is applied mysticism. It is a practical day-to-day -day experience that you and the universe are one. And that's mysticism, in the true sense of the word. People, scientists use mysticism to use, mean it, use it to mean mystification. But the true meaning of mysticism is the awareness that the individual and the universe are one. And astrology is a practical, applied consequence of that doctrine. Planets don't cause anything. Signs of the zodiac don't cause anything. They are simply a symbol of the unity of the individual with the cosmos. My positive is this. Uh, uh, we are found for, the, for Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and for the Moon. That is, the, the planets, or the Moon, it's not the planets, but 
the celestial bodies you can see your with your naked eye and well it's maybe not uh, by chance and I uh, until now I didn't find any results for Pluto and no results also for the outer planet as the astrologer say that uh, Uranus Neptune also so it's a, it may be because they are too far away but I know that for astrologers these planets are very important uh, when they are uh, dealing with horoscopes and they are interpreting horoscopes but as a, a statisticians of astrology I cannot say I found some positive results I didn't find any do you prepare beforehand, or do you do it cold? I, I actually do it cold now. I have uh, I have the chart run out, and it's sitting there. I make sure I know where the progressed moon is. I always know where the transits are back, you know, about 100 mm -hmm. years and up to current. And I have a fairly decent idea of uh, what it is I'm going to be seeing, but I've stopped projecting before they come. And so when they come in, they sit down, and I almost always, for initial clients, say, have you ever had your horoscope done before? Mm -hmm. That opens the I door. Have to. Have you, do you right. have any astrological knowledge? Are you yes, literate? Do you prefer to hear jargon? Would you rather right. I just I always ask English? that question. Yeah. You and for students, oh yes. And I some people say, oh please, started. don't tell don't. me about the Except moon and Mars. And some people say, oh yes, I'd like to know what my Pluto's moon is and the Mars aspect, and please tell me about my Pluto. No, I found none of. I would say one percent of my clientele is astrologically inclined. So I've long ago given up to ask. I have, uh, I, my, most of my clientele is referred by psychologists and one mm -hmm. psychiatrist. And so they are absolutely, totally unaware of, of astrology. I would say half my clients, particularly in the Bay Area, are familiar with astrology to one degree yeah. or another. They've had their charts done. Uh, some of them are astrologers or students of astrology who are looking for another well, those perspective. Those are fun to work with. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But That's I use great. jargon with people who don't know any. Really? Oh, I, I translate for, for a number of reasons. One is it really keys me. I need it to express myself. Uh, the other is, as somebody mentioned the other day, the idea that this is where this information is coming from. Well, I but I speak, but uh -huh. I speak like two languages. You have Mars and Capricorn in the 12th house. Mars, the planet this of anger, assertion, aggression, yeah. is in the part of your chart right. that has to do with an area that's kind of behind your head and that you're not directly conscious of. And then I go into the description right. of it, but I do the right. labeling. And I guess for me, again, it's a device that I need to create, mm -hmm. yeah. but it also fulfills a certain magical need for me. That I, the, that Kabbalistic idea that Maureen Blumenthal talked about, about naming the name. The by just saying, you have Mars and Capricorn, you make a statement that works on an on a archetypal level yes, that the person may be totally unaware of, but that's very powerful. Uh, a large part of the astrological symbolism of the planets is vindicated by my work. But when I am going to verify the, the signs of the zodiac, I got in trouble. In this case, I, I was not able to, f to demonstrate that there is some validity in that. In other words, you can play it safe in a reading or you can take risks oh, yes. and taking risks means what I call pushing the symbols a little bit let's mm -hmm. see how far and stretching and to do that you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna you're gonna lay out a set of descriptions for a Venus Saturn a number of which may be wrong but you're taking the risk of really touching something that's 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 quite pertinent for them and so I'm really getting I'm telling them now I'm not perfect I'm gonna make mistakes and it's your job to be a good consumer 
It's your job to use this information whatever well, way we serves you. We translate the planets, they translate it into their own lives. Right. I think there's, there's a, more there's of a, a confrontational there. astrologer. Uh, to spend two or three or four hours reading somebody's chart, I remember doing that many, many years ago. But it, How long do you spend? 45 minutes to an hour is a session. My, my and that is, hour and, and, and I do not make claims that this is a complete reading or anything like that. As I said, I'm, I deal with current events. <laughs> All from your Pluto on the first All house. for my Pluto on the first house, right. A real bummer. <laughs> Learning to live with it has taken me many, many, many years. <laughs> Pluto on the first house, once I understood that, why the whole chart opened up for me. The only thing I have really going for me that is lovely is that I have Venus and Jupiter conjunct in the ninth house, and so I take it all very philosophically. Okay. <laughs> so that becomes these nodes of Uranus. Now the nodes of Neptune feel this one out, everybody, and think of the industry. The nodes of Neptune, Leo and Aquarius, 9 to 15 degrees. What's theater? What's stage? What's motion pictures? But Leo, and when did it all start? Off those degrees coming through the zodiac. Think about it. Aries rising is Scorpio in the house. The the concept of the warriors, Mars and Pluto, are the mental warrior and the physical warrior. So if a person has Scorpio in the eighth house, they tend to be very very fearful of losing their identity in a relationship. Not because they're paranoid, because it could possibly happen. Hey, if you know any Scorpios, go easy. They have sticks of dynamite taped to their ears and the fuses are sizzling. So don't expect them to just be nice and take out the garbage. If they think you've wronged them for any reason, they just trim you out of their life like fat off a river. Most people's deepest fear are based in some reality. You can't just poo-poo somebody's fear because you don't feel it. There is a lot of risk involved with the eighth house, and it is the third house of self-worth. It is the risk that you take when you integrate psychically, emotionally, spiritually, and possibly even corporately with someone else. You may lose yourself in them. You may become the group. And they're so creative that we see their creativity, but we forget that they live in the mists. That they live in a veil. That they live in a shadow. And they can't see out of that shadow. And they always have a fear that Pluto's in there getting ready to pull them over to the other side and rape them. It simply surfaces into the consciousness. They don't exist. And if the person actualizes it, they grow. Exists. An example of this is Jimmy Carter. When he chose to, be, to run for president, Pluto Transit was transiting his 12th house son. And he became aware of a latent possibility. I can be president. I think Neptune in Capricorn and Pluto in Scorpio is a turnaround of the humanity to connect science and spiritual matters. And this is very important because the science goes to one way, the religions and philosophies go to another way, and I think Neptune and Capricorn and Pluto is copy will put these things together. It's a good time for the astrologers. 
I'm an Aquarius sun. In fact, I have a stellium of five planets in the north node and the sign of Aquarius. But I don't appear like an Aquarian because I'm Capricorn rising. And I've got a Leo moon. So I love to be on camera. <laughs> My specialty is to help people uh, become aware of what they're supposed to be and to motivate them into that and to help them uh, decondition themselves from what they've been uh, allowed themselves to be conditioned to be and to by separating away from that finding their own essence. So that is my work. My name is Noel Till. I'm an astrologer. I live and I practice in McLean, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C. I'm to tell you that I'm six feet ten inches tall and pretty close to the stars. I'm also supposed to say that my son is in Capricorn because I was born on New Year's Eve, that my moon is in Leo, which allows me to fulfill all that dramatic stuff that audiences like, and my ascendant is zero cancer, which sometimes help me, helps me keep my coat buttoned with good reason. Your sun sign, your moon, and your ascendant. Pisces, Aries, Cancer. The Pluto, Scorpio, uh, Neptune, Capricorn, clearly and obviously, that's a 500-year cycle. In other words, it only repeats every 500 years. And it only takes place uh, just before or after the turn of the century. Uh, the last time it took place was in uh, 1500 AD. And it correlates what I call evolutionary themes or intentions or necessities for the planet, as well as the individual. So that if you simply go back in history, uh, i.e. to the 1500 AD point and even beyond, you will find exactly the same themes at that time that you find at this time, although the context clearly is different, so the circumstances are different. From an evolutionary point of view, the actual intent, the positive intent, is to transcend all group, subgroup, and national differences, to promote a consciousness of unity versus what has happened in history and what is happening now, progressive polarization of reality, i.e. nationalism, uh, one subgroup isolating itself against another subgroup, I'm right, you're wrong, and polarization at all levels of reality. This is reflected through simple circumstances, merging, merging of corporations, the monetary resource going to the hands of fewer and fewer, uh, the progressive uh, elimination of what we call the middle class in this country, uh, yet another example of polarization. Uh, you have all kinds of examples of that, and you have example Neptune and Capricorn in the 1820s, correlated not only to the Industrial Revolution and social displacement, which we see now, but also at that time, which was called the Monroe Doctrine, uh, with respect to uh, South America and Central America, and we see it again, with respect to Reagan and the whole Contra thing, uh, and, and this country that he invaded for no real reason. So, in effect, what you have is uh, history repeating itself. It's a famous cliche, but it unfortunately seems to be true. 
And uh, you have all kinds of examples. Take the example of uh, genetic engineering. Uh, Scorpio and Pluto both correlate to the RNA genetic code. And Neptune is an example now of man playing God. And I'm sure there's going to be positive applications of it, uh, but there's also going to be negative ones. And uh, so I think we have to be very careful in terms of our intentions, our motives, what we're actually trying to do. So uh, the promise, of course, is to move into the Aquarian age relatively intact, uh, with a progressive revolution in consciousness, individually and collectively, and working more towards unity. Uh, but if we don't, then we have progressive Platonian evolutionary themes called cataclysm, which enforce change like it or not. An example, the fellow called Jesus, he was actually on a planet with Neptune and Capricorn, and in fact persecuted with Neptune and Capricorn. Examples. We are living in a solar system which is a living entity, and uh, each part in this living entity influences all other parts. Even, I think, even mankind influences the planets and the sun, and on the other, on the other side, the sun and the planets influence men. Uh, Jung speaks of 12 archetypes of human behavior, and uh, those are the 12 archetypes that are inborn in every human being, but by the positioning of planets, you have a selection of archetypes of an individual kind. Certain signs are occupied, others are empty. So you have this archetype which is empty within you as a latency, but not in an activatable way. While planets are organs uh, with which you can live, act and react, perceive and do something with it, uh, and with these planets you can activate the archetypes, right? You can use those models in your behavior. So the other point that I wanted to make came up uh, from a Chinese medicine teacher of mine, and that is that every disease, psychological or physical, serves a function. Mm -hmm. And the removal of that disease, you create another issue. I'll give you two very quick examples. One was she had a, a client, a man who was a labor lawyer, very intense, high-stress work, who had severe headaches. And so she discussed this with him and felt that using Chinese medicine, uh, herbology primarily, and counseling, she could change his condition, get rid of the headaches. But he would lose some of his aggressiveness in work, and he decided he would keep the headaches. The other case was a woman who had asthma, but she was a concentration camp victim. And to treat the asthma, the asthma was helping to block the memory and the pain. And in removing the asthma, the you have to address the pain. Okay, that's right. That's so that's making, right, so the whole thing is, and I really like this Chinese idea that every bit of disease serves a function in the psyche. And when you, right, and when you move one thing, other things shift. Even if it seems, oh, it'll be all to the good for this guy to get over sexual problems. Well, what next? Well, what what does that serve? The aspect structure actually tells what you expect from life, what you want to reach in life, uh, etc. So it's the basic motivational level that to most people is not very conscious, to very many absolutely unconscious. You know, they don't know what they are driving at. They believe uh, what they have been told is important, you know. Uh, so you have a distinction there is this basic inner motivation that wants to get somewhere in life and produce something. <laughs> <laughs>
that wants to get somewhere in life and produce something, uh, also give, an, um, uh, give something to the life, to people, to surroundings, etc. Uh, and there is the outer motivation that mostly comes from conditioning, from education, etc. People around tell you this is the most important thing in life, this you should do, or that goal you must reach, etc. Et and these two uh, instances can be in fight with each other. You know? Long ago I lived in a monastery and I thought that would be my whole life. I had no idea I'd been an astrologer. In fact, I had a very dim view of astrology and spiritual arrogance, of course. But I had a very enlightened teacher there and he said, Look, <clears throat> you cannot have an opinion of astrology without studying the thing. So that certainly made sense. So would I have valid opinion in this man's eyes? I went out and bought a book on astrology to have valid opinion. But I had two page and uh, much to my hall or receive vision about my life and uh, required me to leave monastery, required to open up to relationship, which I'm not inclined to do, Venus retrograde, <laughs> and become astrologer of all things. And so the way I learned astrology was in the following way. I said, Lord, if you want me to be astrologer, then you teach me astrology. So for six years, I had dream about astrology that simply came into my consciousness. And uh, wherever I happened to be living in the world, uh, I would simply hang out free, you know, sign free chart and never have a lack of course, and would empirically validate what I was receiving in dream. And this is how I learned astrology. A lot of times uh, I'll hit something, I like to talk about parents a lot, using the sun and the moon. And a lot of times people don't want to hear anything. And I'll touch on something, and I'll get this resistance, and I'll kind of say, well, okay, it's your life. That's not what happened to you, if that's not your vision. Well, then maybe I'm misreading the symbol. Maybe you're not ready for it now. I'll go on to something else. Mm -hmm. Then we see that Venus is hit up by other kinds of crap, like the moon was hit up. And I might bring, it, bring up something again around that appreciation. And then they're going, well, yes. You yeah, know, because I'll ask people, how was your relationship with your mother? Oh, it was I wonderful. Then you get now. to Venus who unappreciated. Well, yeah, my mother used to lock me in the closet for days on end. <laughs> I feel that uh, this convention is doing much more for the professional astrologer than um, other groups that I've previously been a member of. Uh, they're addressing all of the modern issues, legalization in all of the states, uh, networking, uh, providing a better media image and so forth. How do you like the Bahia? The Bahia. It's wonderful here. Um, I may even wind up here. Who knows? I really love California. We have a zero Libra sun a 20 Virgo moon, a 27 Virgo ascendant. Um, I'm having a wonderful time. This is one of the best organized and best energy conferences that I've been to. It's in a beautiful setting. We are able to get outside and be alive and feel the energy of you know, nature, rather than being shut up in some high-rise hotel. It's such a relief to have an opportunity to be with people who think on an intuitive plane. So you can speak to most of the people that you meet here and they understand immediately what you're talking about. And you don't get that pleasure in general in the world. Plus, we're, you're getting involved with, a, with concepts and ideas that are obtuse to the rest of society. You know, astrology is not necessarily something that's, ex that's accepted by most of your 
your um, comrades and on the planet? Um, Sun Aries, Moon Pisces, Gemini Rising. Um, I have planets on the angles, which feature in my chart. The Saturn opposite Mars and the Moon opposite Jupiter. Um, ninth house Moon. And I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Dutch country. I'm Aquarius with a Moon in Cancer, Cancer Rising. And uh, just out here having a good time. Wish we had a few more drinks out here. My sun sign is Leo, Moon in Aquarius, Gemini Rising. And uh, my Aquarian moon is what is called a singleton moon. It's the only planet above the horizon. And so, Roger, you laugh. Turn around, Roger. <laughs> How did astrology begin? What is the genesis of astrology? What happened was this. One day, all the signs of the zodiac were sitting around waiting for a pizza to be delivered. Aries, forward and outward dashing for sheer joy of self-dissemination, always centered yet moving, merging oneself and all self. They are short, five lines each. We uh, pick our tokens from the sky. That's stupid. Hey Capricorn, don't be a deadbeat. Listen, now this is my game and I say everybody pick a token. Taurus, what do you want? I don't want to play. I'm hungry. Taurus. Hanging jowled bovine. Savoring goodies. Munching cuds. Sniffing the flowers. Inalterable budgelessness. All gorged with sensuous delights. Gemini. Yes and no and now and then and good and evil. But that's too serious. Pendulating, talk, 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 constant, glorious interchange. Cancer. In full embrace on her soft breasts and lap, she holds and feeds and warms, protecting her and us with painful, hard-shelled gentleness. Leo. With a yawn-like roar and grand sweep of tail, gazing down from his boulder, he emanates majesty, drawing all to his center. You can't have the sun. The sun's not a token. That's not right. You said I could have anything I wanted, and I want that big, bright, beautiful, blazing sun, or I won't play. All right, all right. Take the sun. God, Virgo. I don't know. It's got to be exactly right. That one over there is way too big. That one's too far away. That one doesn't even look healthy. I guess that little fast one might be all right, but it's already taken. Okay, Virgo, I'll share it with you. Well, it's not perfect, but it'll have to do. All right. How about Libra? Oh, I really wanted to share one with someone. Libra. On silvery chains, a perfect balance 
of the golden weighing pans shows occasionally a wave of thoughtful uncertainty. Scorpio. In dark crevices, intensely focused inward, she ponders alone. Dwell with her and share her depths, lest the light invite her sting. Hey, Scorpio! Pick a token. Sagittarius, arching his arrow, infinite circumference his constant aim, for man-horse embraces all, from forest unto the stars. Capricorn, that's me, that's the one I was trying to remember and couldn't. Capricorn, upward climbing, he defies peaks, but always with mountain underfoot. Somber games played passionately, Sovereign over all below. I want that one. The rings around it. Looks like a good investment. All right. How about Aquarius? Oh, I think I'll take that that goofy one right over there. Is that a planet? Who cares? Okay. Bye, please. Oh, I don't really care. I'll just take whatever is left. <laughs> Aquarius. With glistening eyes, peering through all to the clouds, he pours out wisdom, designed for no one, because everything's for everyone. Pisces. The water refracts her image. You cannot know her disposition. And then there are two of her. She, they, are one with the sea. <laughs> my sun is Pisces, my moon is Leo, and my ascendant is Gemini. And I feel that this conference has been excellent. It's really been mind-expanding. And people like Jeff Green really helped me to understand how related our consciousness has to be, how we have to relate all these points to every other point, and when we're doing a chart, and when we're understanding life, and how everything is really cyclic, and it's really integrating me and grounding me tremendously. I think it's been fantastic. Does anybody not really understand what hypnosis means right here? You all feel comfortable with this then, that it is self-hypnosis. Oh my goodness, there's so many of you. Um, <coughs> self-hypnosis, that's all it is. You allow it. Nobody can hypnotize you unless you want to be hypnotized. And you don't say anything unless you want to say it. You don't spill your guts and start talking about your sex life unless you want to talk about it in an altered state. Then you have to ask, to point to this sun and say, what has happened when you've been six or seven years old? Mm -hmm. And then very subtle and very sensitive we have to ask this. You must not say, aha, here's the sun, and maybe at least when you have been six, your father has kicked you or something. <laughs> This is not the right way to counsel. <laughs> and when you are a therapist and when you use analytical psychology or psychosynthesis, you have to be very sensitive. What has happened? 
the positions of Neptune and Pluto in uh, Capricorn and Scorpio are probably the most significant and most important things going on right now. And people who have things in their chart aspected by Neptune and Pluto are coming to astrological conferences because their lives are in crisis. I have a Capricorn Sun sign, a Sagittarius rising sign, and a Pisces moon. So I've been tending to attract the, and meet the Pisces Sagittarian types, which is an interesting affirmation of how our energy comes back to us. I think when Neptune was in Sag, it got sort of ridiculous. Um, you know, that was the all things are possible, um, you can do anything you want, the metaphysical kind of head where any, you can visualize and create anything you want. Uh, also, uh, publishing of the occult was, you know, was very widespread. Lots and lots of books got published. But I think now that Neptune has moved into Capricorn, it's sort of like we're going to co concentrate more on what works. You know, what of all that proliferation of ideas actually has practical application. Neptune and Pluto are probably better suited than any other planet to produce a total life changeover and crisis. And since they are in Scorpio and Capricorn, it's the Scorpios and Capricorns who are hurting. An astrologer rarely sees someone who comes into his or her consulting room and says, everything is wonderful. I'm making lots of money. I love my wife. I have great kids. I have a wonderful house. Please read my chart. This does not happen. They come in and say, everything is terrible. I just lost my job. I hate my wife and, and the kids are coming down with awful diseases. Then they come to see the astrologer. Then they start looking after their souls. Then they start going to astrological conferences. And the more traditional professions are also opening up more to certain kinds of ideas, like using visualizations on uh, cancer patients or something like that. You know, the, uh, or uh, nurses and doctors learning touch for health. But these are actually taught in universities. So it's sort of like the, the, the cream of the crop, uh, it rises to the surface. The, the really high quality stuff will go more into the traditional professions and not be seen as so unusual or so far out. If I tell you um, your wife is gone and she's not coming back, or that she is coming back, you know, that certainty, that second opinion, that insight and whatever else we discussed might be worth, might easily be worth the $100 an hour that I charge. But if I told you, I can make your wife come back, what's that worth? $1,000, $2,000? If I say which stocks are going up and which are going down, um, and you invest your money, that's worth something. But if I or someone else pretends to say, oh yeah, I can take that stock you've already invested money in and make it go up. That kind of scam, if people believe it, is dangerous. Now, some people may believe they can change the future. I believe people can change their own future. And working together we can change societies and the world's future. But I don't think anyone can have that kind of influence. Uh, on another individual, or a corporate entity, or a, a governmental organization. My son is Aquarius, and uh, my ascendant is also Aquarius. I have the sun in the first house. Uh, I have a Leo moon, and a couple of fixed T-squares, which uh, I always throw people a little bit to when they find out how stubborn I can be. 
Aquarius doesn't have um, a reputation for being a stubborn sign, but you have to remember that it is fixed even though it's air. I also have uh, Sun Square Saturn, which gives me a certain amount of ambition, and uh, a Jupiter ruled midheaven. I think the most significant factor in my chart is a very active 12th house, and I find that many astrologers have either strong Pisces, strong Neptune, or an active 12th house. I don't think, uh, despite what most people seem to think, that there is a particular degree or a particular sign that has to do with astrology. I really don't think that gets you into it. I think there are certain tendencies in a chart. In my particular case, I would say that the 12th house moon and some of my T-squares make it very important for me to help others to uh, do counseling, which is what I chose astrology to do with, or rather, I chose astrology to do the counseling with. Now what I mean by an active 12th house is that I have three planets there, Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter. And uh, that is a lot of power in one house. And when you first get into astrology and learn about the 12th house, you find out that it's very secretive and very traumatic and sometimes very sorrowful. Mine hasn't worked that way for me. I find that writers need some 12th house aspects or 12th house planets, unless you write on the bus a lot. I mean, if you're comfortable writing in public, then you don't need a 12th house. But if you do write like most of us write, you write in the 12th house. Hermann Hesse lived in a few villages down the road, across a little mountain, a place called Castagnola. And of course, uh, his life was totally changed when he first went to India. He had a very similar chart to a very dear friend of mine, Eric Maria Remarque, who wrote the book All Quiet on the Western Front. The Ark of Triumph and those books. They had exactly the same chart. That means they were born at different times. They're both Cancers. They both have Sagittarius rising and they were as different as night and day. I always love to quote people who have very similar charts and are totally different. And then I like to point out to my students why they're different. But Hemingway had Virgo rising, not Sagittarius rising. It's a little different. And uh, we have company today, don't we? That one isn't as pretty as the other one. The other one was sleeker, didn't you see? It was beautiful. Um, Remark was, uh, of course, Marlene Dietrich was his, uh, one of his, uh, the loves of his life. I think he was the love of her life, though a little bit more than she was the love of his life. As you may uh, have noticed, the Bahia is under the flight paths of uh, just about everything out of uh, San Diego International Airport. So I figured I'd uh, get some shots here on the uh, morning of the last day. A few more interviews and then a grand finale. And UAC 86 will be history. Well, I think uh, with Gemini on the Midheaven, which is a vocational house, and Mercury ruling it in the third house of communication in direct opposition to Uranus which is a planet we usually ascribe to uh, astrology. It probably shows my, my interest in uh, unusual, eclectic, maybe avant-garde uh, thought. And then trying Pluto and Saturn might have to do a bit with my background in psychology. Also uh, the Mercury trying Pluto plus a Venus and Jupiter conjunct in Scorpio the second 
perhaps correlates with my interest in uh, the markets, financial markets with astrology. And then with maybe Neptune rising <laughs> uh, on the ascendant with the sextile to Mercury, my ruling planet, that might have something to do with my interest in spiritual dimensions to astrology. Never know for sure, but I think it might. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, this galactic center is very important in astrology. It is the nucleus of our galaxy. Uh, our galaxy consists of, of about uh, 200 billion stars uh, revolving around that center. And if you are looking for information, you find it always uh, in the nuclei of structures. For instance, if you look at uh, the cells we are composed of. The galactic center is a place where a great deal of knowledge comes in and not necessarily solicited. It gets there. But um, in order to have this knowledge become effective, one has to share it. It's like, you know, how the, the kid says, okay, Dad, if you'll let me take the car tonight, I'll wash it tomorrow. And Dad says, no, go ahead and wash the car, and then you can use it. For those of us who are getting ready for the Jupiter, or I'm sorry, the Saturn-Uranus conjunction in Sagittarius, that is going to be an extraordinarily significant conjunction by virtue of the fact it will be going over the galactic center. The center of the galaxy is a nucleus point about which the sun revolves every 250 million years, taking us with it, of course, and we find that this point represents knowledge. And the knowledge that it brings is knowledge which requires responsibility. That is, once we receive knowledge, it's up to us to go ahead and to utilize the knowledge, otherwise the knowledge is very dormant. If you find an aggregation of matter and energy, there must be a, an aggregation of information too. For instance, uh, such places uh, as uh, the Sun or the center of our galaxy are very, mm, yes, rare places. In between is a lot of void and this is a concentration of matter energy and of information. And you can't separate that in a information from matter and energy, and so you know if there is such a body, like our sun, which contains much uh, matter, much energy, then it must contain also a lot of structure, uh, a high potential of information, and you can even calculate the quantity of information that's getting out from the sun. There is a Saturn-Uranus conjunction that is going to take place at 29 degrees of Sagittarius, which is the solstice point of the soul entering the body. And it means that when that Saturn-Uranus conjunction takes place at 29 degrees Scorpio, its solstice is zero Capricorn, and there is a splitting in the universe, there is a splitting of the way. There is an eclipse in a Cero cycle that is going to take place at that time, which started its origin in 1926, which means that um, there, there is a brand new soul group that is going to be entering, and they'll probably enter off that Saturn-Uranus conjunction. I feel that that is going to be like a, a huge enlightening period, and I think we're in preparation for the end of um, 87 and 88 for that conjunction. So as we watch Saturn and Uranus move over this point, the thing that we're going to see is people are going to be gaining new information, which is going to give them both a level of stability in their own personal life and collective life, as well as it will give them the information on changes they need to meet the needs of the Galactic Center, which require that we approach things from a more progressive orientation, 
shying away from, well, that's the way we've always done it, and allowing ourselves to pursue the unknown with a tremendous enthusiasm and optimism as to the results that we might get. I'm a Gemini Sun, a Capricorn Moon, a Libra Ascendant, and I'm having a marvelous time. Um, the most wonderful thing I think about the convention is being with a group of people who speak the same language because when you've been in astrology for a while it structures your perceptions and the way you view the world and it's magnificent it's a wonderful experience I have the Sun in Capricorn, Moon in Cancer and Ascendant and I think it's fabulous I think the convention was an opportunity for people of like minds to get together and share and join in the astrological circle. For me, it's just been a wonderful experience. Basically, it's been a great conference. I have the sun in Scorpio, the moon in Scorpio, and three other planets in Scorpio, so I sort of like things that are hidden. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Libra with the moon in Aquarius, beginning Aquarius, Scorpio ascendant. And it's a wonderful convention. I was just thinking how much I enjoy conventions that are uh, have so much input and a lot of uh, people of like minds and in a beautiful atmosphere. Yeah. I can't say much about the food that we had at the two dinners. That was pretty bad. <laughs> the interchange, the kinetic energy that happens when you get upwards of a thousand astrologers together is something that's very dramatic and exciting for the profession and very entertaining and stimulating for me personally. It has definitely made its mark. It's been different. And um, I think it's the first step. I think that after the planets go direct and we see what we've manifested for ourselves, because we can't quite see it yet, we need to have a little distance, we need to have a little perspective on what we've manifested for ourselves. I think, we're, I think we, have, we will have laid a very important foundation, not only just for this thing we call the United Astrology Congress, but for the astrological community, which takes in everybody, those that we like and those that we don't quote like right now. It's a real special time. As we move through the horoscope, we gradually transform our potential reality that has come into existence at conception into our actual reality, until at the moment of death, we have utilized all of our potential and our life is actual. The sequence is complete and the Uruburos snake has bitten its tail outside of time. I'd like to take this opportunity to give special thanks to Stephanie Erickson, who single-handedly coordinated and arranged all the interviews. And I'd also like to thank all the astrologers who graciously gave their time and energy to this project. Healing, here tonight, healing, here.
also like to uh, thank the technical crew, and that would be Omar Kish and Sarah Steinberg, and also uh, Rochelle Young, the sounds person. <laughs> 